I'm Toby Logsdon, and this is your Daily Fix of Wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 23 to 26, Solomon writes, Then you will walk in your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden fear, nor of the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence, and will keep your foot from being caught. In our previous lesson from Proverbs, we discussed the importance of remaining mindful of the fact that God created and sustains the entire universe, from the smallest to the largest things and everything in between. And this sets the stage for today's passage, in which Solomon discusses one of the primary benefits of being mindful of God's presence, the easing or the erasing of fears and doubts. When a person is confronted with the holiness of God, they fear sinning, because they know that God hates sin. They also know that, in one sense, they represent God to a society which doesn't fear God one bit most of the time. In light of this reality, the more influential a follower of Christ is, the greater the impact of their sin will be. Think about men like Jimmy Swagger, Ted Haggard, or Jim Baker. These men all had huge ministries at one point, which they ran, but each of those ministries was brought down by their personal private sins. Solomon tells us that we need not fear the impact of sin, but will remain securely on the path of righteousness when we remain aware of God's presence. While many people enjoy scary movies, they only do so because they're able to remain aware of the fact that all they have to do is look away and that doing so will relieve any fear or anxiety that the movie is causing in them. But nobody really likes to be experiencing an inescapable fear. It's important to have fear when it's kept in check. That's what keeps people from running on freeways or from trying to steal a fish out of a grizzly bear's mouth really bad ideas. Those are things that a person should realistically fear. But people also have unrealistic, irrational fears, or fears about things that they're unable to control, like death, for example. When we trust in the Lord with all of our heart and don't depend on our own understanding of things, we don't need to feel fear or anxiety because we know that God is good. We know that God is good, righteous, holy, and all-powerful, and that there's nothing that can happen to us that he doesn't allow. And when he does allow difficult circumstances that might cause fear in our lives, we don't feel that fear because we know that he has our best interests in mind. There was a time when Paul and Silas were thrown into prison and had their feet in the stocks. And instead of allowing fear of what was to come to overwhelm them, instead they were praying and singing praises to God. Suddenly an earthquake came and set them free. And Paul would go on to write, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons. The Bible has a lot to say about fear, probably because it's a very common human emotion. The Apostle John might have given us the greatest reason not to experience fear or anxiety, though, when he wrote that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. You see, to know God is to love God. And to love God and know God is to realize that He loved us first and to allow His perfect love to cast the fear out of our hearts and minds. With that type of assurance, we have nothing to fear and can sleep soundly. I'm Toby Logson, and this has been your Daily Fix of Wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus.
I'm Toby Logsdon, and this is your Daily Fix of Wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 27 to 29, Solomon writes, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it, when you have it with you. Do not devise harm against your neighbor, while he securely lives beside you. Solomon's been talking about the wisdom that starts with the proper recognition of God as the creator and sustainer of the universe. In our previous lesson, we looked at how that affects the individual by giving them a peace that passes all human understanding because the person is able to rest assured that God is in control of their life. This might be the first effect, and it's no doubt an important one, but it can't stop there. It doesn't stop with the individual. We have to understand that the person who truly experiences peace from God will see that peace spread to every aspect of their lives and beyond their own self. If we've truly experienced the peace that passes all understanding, it'll have an effect on the way we deal with others as well. In previous passages in our study on Proverbs, we've seen that there's a ripple effect of sorts, which is caused by a lack of wisdom, and here we see that there's a ripple effect which is caused by wisdom as well. Solomon starts this ripple effect of wisdom by giving us three statements, each of which start with do not. First, do not hold out on doing good to someone who's either in need of or deserving of an act of goodness. When Jesus speaks of separating the sheep from the goats, he speaks of himself as representing the Jewish person who's enduring persecution and is thus thirsty, hungry, naked, without shelter, or imprisoned. And something that characterizes the goats is the fact that while they were certainly able to do good acts toward those who were being persecuted, and they had those means at their disposal, they refused to do so. The sheep, on the other hand, also have a common characteristic. They carried out these acts of kindness toward those who were in need. One should be reminded of the many organizations set up by Christians with this sort of kindness in mind, such as the Salvation Army or the Red Cross, not to mention the countless homeless shelters and soup kitchens that Christians have established. The second do-not statement here in our book of Proverbs tells us that if we owe something to our neighbor and are able to compensate them for it, we shouldn't hesitate to do so. The Bible teaches that we're supposed to love our neighbors just as much as we love ourselves. In other words, we're supposed to value them and their possessions the same way that we value ourselves and our possessions. The golden rule is that we're supposed to treat other people the same way that we'd want them to treat us, and that requires selflessness on our part. Paul put it like this. He said, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Because we'd want people to pay us back if we are in the neighbor's place in this scenario, we should pay back our neighbor as soon as we're able to do so. Otherwise, we're placing our own value and our own interests above theirs. Finally, Solomon warns us against plotting harm against our neighbor while they live securely beside us. I'm reminded of a time before I became a follower of Jesus when I had a college roommate that I just couldn't stand. And there was no doubt that he couldn't stand me either, by the way. And I don't know who started it, but we'd take little shots at each other here and there. And it didn't take long for that to escalate to the point where he and I couldn't stand to be in the same room with each other. This made both of our lives pretty miserable for the majority of that school year. And why? because we were constantly devising some form of non-physical harm against each other. Both of our lives could have been a lot easier and a lot more enjoyable that year if we'd been mindful of Paul's advice, which was to be at peace with all men. That's what he tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. This means letting go of and forgiving what you perceive to be a wrongdoing against you and choosing selflessness instead. I'm Toby Logsdon, and this has been your Daily Fix of Wisdom on BibleStudyPodcast.org. 
keep growing closer to Jesus. I'm Toby Logsdon, and this is your Daily Fix of Wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 30 to 32, Solomon writes, Do not contend with a man without cause, if he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence, and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious are an abomination to the Lord, but he is intimate with the upright. In our previous lesson, we saw that there's a ripple effect that starts with the individual who has experienced the peace of Christ, and we noted that this ripple effect extends beyond the personal boundaries of the individual. It extends to those who are around the individual as well. This peace overflows from us and affects our relationships with our closest neighbors, but it also goes beyond those who live in close proximity to us. It also has an effect on the way we deal with all people that we come into contact with. In the first Karate Kid movie, you might remember that the antagonists, the bad guys that is, all went to this karate dojo together and they called themselves the Cobra Kai. The teacher had ingrained this philosophy of combat and fighting in his young students. It was strike first, strike hard, no mercy. That's the exact opposite philosophy that Solomon is telling us to embrace. If we're going to be at peace with people as we're instructed to be, we can't have the mentality that we're going to be willing to throw the first punch at someone if we feel threatened by them. The foolishness of such an approach is revealed upon the realization that there's always someone bigger, or there's always someone tougher, or you just don't have eyes in the back of your head. With all that in mind, the wise person won't provoke another person unjustly. In the first chapter of Proverbs, we discussed the reasons that the majority of kids who join gangs join gangs for security and for money, among other things. Solomon warns us against this type of mentality, though, telling us to avoid feeling envy for any person who's willing to provoke or contend violently with another person without due cause. Let's face it, you don't want to be mixed up with people like that. And so Solomon goes so far as to tell us not to choose any of this type of person's ways. That means not dressing or appearing like such people in any way, shape, or form. If you imitate the contentious and the violent person in even very subtle ways, the wise person risks danger themselves because others might perceive them as being associated with the violent person. Solomon ends this passage by giving us the most solid reason of all, the most solid justification he possibly could for not choosing to be like the person who provokes and brings violent contention against others without a just cause. Such people are an abomination to God. Solomon refers to these people as being devious, a term which refers to someone who has deviated from godly behavior. The righteous, however, have what Solomon refers to as an intimacy with God. This term intimacy actually refers to something that's very secretive, something which God reveals only to the righteous, but not to those who deviate from his righteousness. And what is this secret? Well, I'll tell you what. If you draw near enough to God by putting your faith in his Son, Jesus Christ, I'm sure he'd be happy to share it with you. I'm Toby Logson, and this has been your Daily Fix of Wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus.
I'm Toby Logsdon, and this is your daily fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 33 to 36, Solomon writes, The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. The wise will inherit honor, but fools display dishonor. Thus far in our study of the book of Proverbs, we've seen the consequences of rejecting wisdom, and we've also seen the benefits of seeking and finding it. We've seen that because wisdom is more valuable than anything else this world has to offer, it's far better to have wisdom than to lack it. That's a no-brainer, right? Well, in our previous lesson, we ended by noting that those who deviate from God's righteousness are an abomination to him, but the righteous have an intimacy with God. Today we see three contrasting sets of effects that a person lives under depending upon whether or not they accept wisdom. First, Solomon tells us that the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, which is contrasted with the blessing which is upon the dwelling of the righteous. In the story of Jacob and Esau, for example, we see how this principle works in a real-life situation. Both Jacob and Esau grew up in the same house. They received the same education, and they lived in the same circumstances. But Esau valued valued himself more than anything else and traded away the inheritance he was set to receive. For what? For temporary satisfaction. Jacob, on the other hand, grew from being a deceptive and conniving person to being a man who loved God. Thus we see that Esau founded his house on things like infidelity, worldliness, and temporary pleasure. From his lineage came the Edomites, who grew to hate God and hate God's people. Several evil men that we find actually in the New Testament actually came from the line of Esau. Men such as Herod the Great, who sought to murder Jesus as an infant, or Herod Antipas, who murdered John the Baptist, and there are several other men as well. Jacob, however, founded a house on trusting in God. His sons would each give rise to the twelve tribes of Israel. From his lineage we find a strong inheritance of prophets, priests, and kings. Moses came from this line, as did the long-promised Messiah, Jesus. Unlike the house of Esau, which was cursed by God, Jacob's house was blessed because he had put his trust in God. Next, Solomon contrasts the wicked and the righteous by noting that God scoffs at the wicked but gives grace to the afflicted. And it's interesting to note that it's usually those who scoff at God who afflict the righteous. In the French Revolution, for example, atheist scoffers began attempting to destroy the Christian heritage of France by storming churches and tearing down crosses and cathedrals. They promised to remove anything and everything that might remind the people of God. One peasant responded to this by stating, Well, make sure that you pull the stars out of the sky while you're at it. One day, those who scoff at God will be confronted with the realization that their life was all for nothing, and that they were foolish to reject the availability of both wisdom and grace. Finally, Solomon notes that the wise will inherit honor, but the foolish who have rejected wisdom will inherit dishonor. The word foolish here means stupid, or maybe arrogant to the point of being a simpleton. And when I read this, I'm reminded of a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. In this book, we read story after story about people who were killed for their faith in Jesus. Yet, despite their tragic deaths, they're commemorated in a positive light and have been remembered for dozens of generations with honor. Nobody commemorates the death of fools, however, perhaps because they now live in the absence of God's grace for the rest of eternity. How will people remember you? I'm Toby Logsdon, and this has been your daily fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus.